Well, good morning, Cross Point Community Church. It is so good to see you, and I'm waving at Miss Danielle back there, who would like me right now to dismiss all the first through third graders. If you have not yet, um, well, parents, if you've not yet signed your young ones in, please travel back there with your young ones. Uh, thank you, Miss Danielle, and all of our children's workers who teach them the gospel of Jesus Christ every week. I would like to say this. Uh, thank you for praying for my family, myself. Uh, we had a bit of travels the last couple weeks. Our heads are still kind of spinning from all those tra travels, but we had a wonderful time. Thank you for praying. Uh, we um, found flights. Whenever you travel with a family of seven, it is an adventure, to say the least. Uh, but God gave us grace. We found uh, reasonable flights from here to Denver and then from Denver to Miami. And then we drove down to the Keys where we had a family reunion type uh, wedding. It was a wedding that turned into somewhat of a reunion. So uh, on both stages of that trip, we had a great time with extended family. It was so renewing, wonderful conversations, and we also had just a wonderful time as a family ourselves. So thank you for your prayers, and we praise God for the safety He gave us. I mean, thinking about the world we live in right now, and to travel all the way from here down to there and back and, and without any hitches, we praise God for that. So thank you for your thoughts and prayers. Thank you for Pastor Matt, who so appropriately shared God's Word last week. I was sitting there in, California, or in, in Florida with my phone dialing in on the service here. And so thank you so much for Pastor Matt. Thank you for the live stream team that makes it possible that we can follow at different places. If you're visiting with us this morning, I'd like to say this. We are thrilled you are here. Thank you for taking the time this morning to come worship with us. So whether you are a regular attender here or you're new to this congregation, we praise God that you're here we pray that God would grow you today. One quick mention. Um, Wednesday night, we do have studies. We have dinner and we have studies. There is a delay, though, in the adult, uh, the open adult study that meets in the ice cream shop. That one particularly will not start until February 5th. So the other ones will start this week, but not that one. So teens, if you're here, we'd like to see you in the teen room on Wednesday night. Others, the children's, uh, the family life a support group, all of that will happen. All right, would you please take your Bibles this morning, and we're going to start in a passage, well, we'll get there in a couple minutes, but if you would turn to Genesis chapter 1 this morning. It has already been stated, this is Sanctity of Life Sunday. Often on Sanctity of Life Sunday, we'll take a special amount of time to pray on this subject, but today we will take time not only to pray on this subject, but to go to God's Word for some helpful reminders on this subject, to encourage our hearts in these troubling times with exactly what God's Word says about this subject. Today will not be, and if I could just say this, it will not be an exhaustive apologetic on this subject. Um, on abortion, on life, the perspective of life. But what today will be is this. It will be a simple reminder, a refresher course, as it were. A, a primer from what God says about this subject. My friends, God is not silent in His holy word about things that are happening in the 21st century. This is why we can call the word of God the sufficient word of God. This is why, as we'll look at in just a minute, Paul says to Timothy, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness. God's Word is not silent on the things we are going through right now. And so, for that reason, I want to start with these two simple reminders. Anytime we approach a sensitive subject like the one we're approaching today, we want to remind ourselves of these two 
key statements. One, God has revealed His expectations for His creations in His Word. God is not silent. And then number two, God's Word is to be the final authority for all His creations. In other words, even though a current topic or issue may not be addressed by name, we must understand that in His sufficient Word, God has clearly exposed His nature, His perspective, His expectations, and His prohibitions for all of His creations. It is clear in the Word of God. And so this morning, as such, we go to God's Word as the final authority. Please understand this. What do we mean the final authority? This is the pinnacle of authority for all of God's creations. Whether you understand it or agree with it or not, God's Word is our final authority. When we go to a sensitive subject like what we're talking about today, we must realize that the final authority is not how we feel. It is not about the emotional urgings that we have on a subject like this. It is God's Word. My friends, our authority is not popular opinion. Our authority is not persuasive arguments. Our authority is in the Word of Almighty God. The Word that you have in your lap right now, in your hand, on your device, right now, God's holy word. Where do we see this God's final authority? It is all through scripture. <laughs> Beginning to end, you see that God's word is the final authority for his creations. I mean, this week I was meditating on a couple of these verses. I put them here because they're so appropriate. Isaiah prophesying in Isaiah 40 says it so adequately through the Holy Spirit of God. I might add, again, quoted by Peter in 1 Peter. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. And then this, you know these verses. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. This is the sufficient word of God that we study today. I love what Jeremiah says. What God says to Jeremiah, Jeremiah 23, I put this up here, verses to meditate on a different time maybe, but I will mention these. Jeremiah 23, 29, God Almighty says this, Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces? Therefore, behold, and this is what God says. I am against the prophets, declares the Lord, who steal my words for, uh, from one another. Behold, I am against the prophet, declares the Lord. Uh, I am against the prophets, declares the Lord, who use their tongues and declare, declares the Lord. What powerful verses to remember, to, to really wrap our minds around the fact that it doesn't matter if popular opinion says something, if God disagree with it, God's word stands. And it's not about emotions, it is not about feelings, it is not about popular opinion, it is about what God's word says. As has already been quoted, Paul to Timothy says, all scripture is given by God inspiration of God. It is God-breathed and it is profitable. For doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness. And then I absolutely love the application to Timothy. You remember this. Three years ago, well coming right up on three years ago, this is the first sermon that God gave grace for me to preach from this pulpit. As I received the call to preach and committed to you that I will preach the word of God that is, comes directly from this text. Paul to Timothy says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. It is God-breathed. And so what is the application, Timothy? Chapter 4, verse 2 of 2 Timothy. Preach the word, Timothy. 
Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Some of your translations will say fables. In other words, believing a lie. That is why we run to these two statements. God has revealed His expectations for His creations in His Word. And number two, God's Word is to be the final authority for all His creations. So, as we approach this vital subject today, a sobering subject, uh, tears have come to my eyes on more than one occasion this week, thinking of what is happening. We must not run to emotional appeals. We must not run to popular opinion or persuasive arguments. My friends here today, where must we run? To God's Word. We must run to the reminders of His holy text. This book is certainly not silent about God's perspective on human life. So what we're going to do today is simply bring five reminders about what God's Word says about human life and interaction with human life from God's perspective. Basic biblical truths to consider. Here's the first one that we will consider today. God is the sovereign creator who has given value to all those created in His image. By the way, these are not new to many of us in this room. But that's why I say again, this is a wonderful reminder to go to God's Word and to remind ourselves in this needy time of these truths. So what is the truth we're wrapping our minds around today by God's grace? It is this. We're reminding ourselves that God is the sovereign creator who has given value to all those created in His image. Where do we find this in the Scriptures? Well, you don't have to look very far because it's in the first chapter of your Bible. Genesis chapter 1, we find this amazing truth. After God sovereignly has created all things in the world, He creates man. And what is said about this occasion? If you, would, if you have your Bible there, you can look at Genesis 1, 26. Uh, I'm just going to read these two verses um, this morning for sake of time. Then God said, verse 26 of Genesis 1, Then God said, let us, and this is so good, the plurality of God, unity and plurality, which means the Trinity, the doctrine of the Trinity in the Scriptures. Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the, earth, uh, the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, uh, uh, him. Male and female, he created them. This is the word of God. In the New Testament, we run to James chapter 3, verse 19, as he references this creation account, and James simply says that we are made in the likeness of God. What does this mean to be created in the image and likeness of God? Well, there's a lot to this, but in simple explanation, here it is. It means that humans have been made with the ability to reason, to understand, to deeply communicate, to express worship. And because of this, in this passage, we have the ability to have dominion over God's creation. In other words, God's prized creations have been made with the ability to process and comprehend information, especially information about God. We are His prized creations. But you don't get very far in Genesis till you find that God's prized creations had a serious problem. What was that problem? Sin. Genesis chapter 3, we find that Adam and Eve 
disobeyed God. What happened when they disobeyed God? Here's what happened. The image of God and man was marred. If you want the story of the Scriptures in a summary form, here it is. The image of God was given to man. Man corrupted the image of God through sin in their own life. But then the rest of the Bible is God bringing back His image through Christ in believers. I mean, there's more to that. But it's beautiful how Christ changes our hearts. With this biblical truth, though, we must actually take that first line and hold it with all we have. What, I'm, what do I mean? God is the sovereign creator. In a world where that is not popular opinion, we must hold to this with all we have, brothers and sisters in Christ. Anytime you broach the subject of God's perspective in life, we must hold on to with all we have the fact that man did not just happen. Man did not evolve into some complex form. No, man was created by a sovereign, intentional creator. If you believe the Word of God, you must believe that fact. God is the sovereign creator who has given value to all those created in His image. Why do we say all those created in His image? Because to all human beings... God has placed value, and this value means that there is no degree of preference based on size or shape, praise God for that, based on skin color or genetics, based on age or development, key to the discussion. God has not preferred one person in His image over another person of His image based on age or development. Please let us get this. All are made in the image of God, even children. If you doubt that, you can run to Exodus 21. You can run to Leviticus 18. You can run to Deuteronomy chapter 12. All of these are reminders that God has special care for ones that are called human beings, and they are children. Children are human beings created in the image of God. So when we run to the scriptures, we have to remind ourselves of that dynamic truth. That God is the sovereign creator who has given value to all those created in his image. But then from that flows another wonderful biblical truth. And here it is. A simple reminder that God has ordained human life to begin with conception in the womb. We could go to several passages to see this truth, but I want us to go to Psalm 139. I was thinking about this uh, the last couple days. Uh, there are certain powerful passages that you run to often in uh, the Old Testament. For me, Isaiah 40. I go there all the time. And Psalm 139. I'm going to tell you, we almost go to Psalm 139. Whether you know it or not, we almost talk of Psalm 139 every single Sunday at this church. The truths of the perfections and attributes of God and how appropriate they are for our daily lives. Well, this passage right here, Psalm 139, proves to us that God has ordained human life to begin in the womb. Why? Because it shows that God is involved in what's happening in the womb. Would you look with me at verse 13 if you're there, or just listen as I read this? Psalm 139 is about David being in awe of God's attributes, and here's what he says in verse 13. For you, referring to God, for you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret, intricately woven. Catch the terminology here. Intricately woven in the depths of the earth. That's referring to the womb. Verse 16, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them. Okay, time out right there. That means 
as, the, as this baby is being formed. It is not in its final form yet. God is at work. This is God's creation. The days that were formed for me when as yet there was none of them. You can't get more appropriate than this. You have not yet had a birthday, but you're still alive and God is forming you. That is this passage. I mean, we could spend multiple weeks just dialing into every single one of these phrases, but would you just look at some of these phrases? Proving that God has ordained life to begin at conception in the womb. Here it is. You formed my inward parts. Like a sculptor, you put me together. What about verse 13, the end? You knitted me together in my mother's womb. Like a finely woven tapestry, you have put me together. Verse 14, I, have, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Verse 15, I was being made in secret. Intricately, here it is again, same terminology, intricately woven. This, the 100,000 miles, catch this. The 100,000 miles of blood vessels flowing from and to the heart. Guess who did that? God. Who does that for every single human baby in the womb? God does. The 300 bones in the baby's body that will later be broken apart, or actually will come together, for a human to, I think it's 206 bones in the adult human, the 300 bones in every single one of these children. Who did that? God did that. The intricate nerve system with millions of nerve endings that send impulses to and from the brain, allowing babies in the womb to process information from the outside world. Who did that? God did that. That heart, catch this, that beats nearly 200,000 times in a single day in the womb. Who does that? God does that. Those lungs and kidneys, that stomach and intestines, who made those function? Who made them functional for the human babies in the womb? God does. The development, I mean, if you want your mind blown, we were talking about this around the kitchen table this week. If you want to blow mind gaskets, <laughs> then you need to think about the human eyeball. <laughs> Seriously. An estimated 200 billion eyeballs God has formed. <laughs> that optic nerve, think about this. That optic nerve that somehow in the process of development connects to the visual cortex at the back of the brain. Somehow they come together in the human body. Who put them together? God did. Wired with the ability to send and process precise images. Who does that for the human baby? God does. Clearly, the womb does not just contain fetuses. The womb contains human beings created in God's image. My friends, this is the word of God. Uh, I've, I've been enjoying watching different videos, but one particular on the development of life in the womb. And this came out last year, and I thought we'd just play it this morning. And as we play this, would you in your mind think of all of the things that God is doing in the development of this young one in the womb? This is Olivia. Though she has yet to greet the outside world, she has already completed an amazing journey. This is the moment that life begins. A new human being has come into existence 
at fertilization, her gender, ethnicity, hair color, eye color, and countless traits are already determined. She begins to implant in the uterus about one week after fertilization. Her cells organize into what we call an embryo. At three weeks and one day, just 22 days after fertilization, Olivia's heartbeat can be detected. The buds of her arms and legs appear by four weeks. She begins to move between five and six feet with both spontaneous and reflexive movements. At six weeks from fertilization, her brain activity can be recorded and bone formation begins. She can bring her hands together at seven and a half feet and separate fingers and toes emerge. She can also begin to hiccup. At the beginning of the ninth week, Olivia will have grown from a single cell into nearly one billion cells and she is now called the fetus. She will suck her thumb and swallow, grasp an object, touch her face, sigh and stretch. At 11 weeks, she is playing in the womb, moving her body and exploring her environment. Her taste bud cells have matured by week 12 but are still scattered throughout her mouth. Her mother will first sense Olivia's movements between 14 and 18 weeks, an event called quickening. Beginning at 18 weeks, ultrasounds show speaking movements in her voice box. Around 20 weeks, with a lot of help, babies have survived outside the womb. At 27 weeks, her eyes are responding to light. She can recognize her parents' voices and will even recognize lullabies and stories. Olivia has gone on an amazing journey during these last nine months. She will soon signal to her mother that it is time for delivery and greet the outside world. My friends here today, God's word indicates that all human beings are created in God's image. The Bible clearly indicates that human life begins in the womb. I might add to this discussion a very intentional word. The first reminder that we had there is God is the sovereign creator who has given value to all those created in his image. This is not an easy subject for some in this room for more reasons than just the abortion holocaust that we're in right now. It is also a sensitive subject for those who in this life have not been able to uh, enjoy and you've been burdened about enjoying um, motherhood. I understand that. And this, that it's painful. But I also understand that we hold to that word with all we have. God is the sovereign creator. As Job says, God is the one who gives life. And for whatever reason, we know this. Even though we might not be able to comprehend this in our own way, we know that God will do all things for His glory and our good. And we hold on to that with all we have. There's another reminder that we want to go to this morning. The third one is we're moving right along. This. We have to understand from the Scriptures that God hates the abuse and the murder of the innocent. Where is this found in the Bible? All through the Bible. <laughs> not only is it in the sixth of God's Ten Commandments, you shall not murder, but it is also clarified as part of God's moral law. I particularly appreciate Exodus chapter 23, verse 7, and I will just touch into this verse where clearly God in His law says, Do not kill the innocent and righteous. For I will not acquit the wicked. Among other passages, we, are clearly, we clearly find God's view of the mistreatment of the innocent in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 6, and you probably know 
have heard these verses, Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 through 19, where we find these words, these six things does the Lord hate. Seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and finally, one who sows discord among the brethren. Clearly from God's word, we cannot argue against the fact that God hates the shedding of innocent blood. My brothers and sisters in Christ, my friends here today, God hates the murder of the innocent. And so, what's the clear point? Abortion is the abuse and murder of innocent human beings. And so, God hates abortion. By the way, one argument that has, and, and I'll tell you what, there, there's not easy ways to work around some of these arguments other than to run to the scriptures. One clear argument, if I can just pose this as an um, illustration, one argument that has been proposed in defense of abortion is what about the justification of abortion for situations of rape? There's much more to this answer, but I might simply ask this question in response. Is it ever right to abuse and punish one innocent person just to make things right for another innocent person? Sure, rape is an absolute atrocity and retribution must be paid to the fullest, but is it ever right to erase one innocent person from our society just because he or she reminds us another innocent person of that atrocity? In any stretch of the imagination in our society, that would not be acceptable to erase one innocent person on account of the reminders to another innocent person. If we truly want justice, we must live the law of God's selfless love and refuse to punish the innocent. Friends, we must be careful not to punish the wrong person in this situation. By the way, in 2009, a guy named Scott Klusendorf, he wrote, released a book called The Case for Life. If you want a good read, read that book. Chapter 13 of that book, deals with this more extensively. The case for life. Okay, so in review, God's word indicates that all human beings are created in God's image. Human life begins in the womb. Three, God hates the abuse of innocent human beings. But Pastor Andrew, please know this. I have massive regrets in my life. You stand up there and so confidently and nonchalantly say, God's Word says this, but you don't know what I'm feeling right now. Maybe that's you. Maybe you've participated in or encouraged an abortion. My friend, this next biblical truth is for you. Please lend your ear on account of your breaking heart right now. And here is the point to be made. God provides hope and healing for the guilty. Please wrap your mind around this. Please run to this as fast as you can. My friend, this right here is the story of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is, we're talking about the hope and forgiveness that is found only in the cross. The hope and forgiveness that Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 1. I included it up here. Here it is. In Christ, we have redemption through His blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. Ephesians 2 is not silent on this matter. When the guilty come to the cross, here's what we read. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, He made us alive together with Christ. By grace we have been rescued. My friend, struggling with guilt, you must hold on to the words of 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful. 
and he is just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Even though you might feel like the Apostle Paul, who I might add persecuted the innocent prior to his conversion. He knew a thing or two about persecuting the innocent. He knew a thing or two about murder. And we're talking about the Apostle Paul. And what is his response in Romans 7? We're going to get there uh, sometime in our Romans study. <laughs> in Romans chapter 7, what does he say? Oh, wretched man that I am, how often might you feel that way? But what then is his response? Thanks be to God through our Lord Jesus Christ. For those who have made regretful choices and endorsed this punishment of the innocent human beings, my challenge to you today is this. Look to the love and the forgiveness and the grace of the cross of Jesus Christ and never take your eyes off. Look to the cross, and look to the cross, and look to the cross. And when you're tempted to look away with all you have through the Holy Spirit, look back to the cross. Through those tear-flooded eyes, look to Jesus and His cross. Through those long, dark nights, look to the cross of Jesus Christ. Through those remorseful memories, look to Jesus Last biblical truth to talk of today. By the way, I've mentioned that this might be a sobering talk today. <laughs> it's deep. It's real. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we can't ignore this stuff. This is the world we live in right now. But we run to this last biblical truth in regard to this discussion, and here it is. God's people are to seek justice for the helpless. We find this through the Scriptures. I mean, I'm not even going to go to this main point, but love your neighbor as yourself. If this is a human being, then you need to show love, selfless love to this person. We're not even going to really talk of that, even though we could spend a lot of time on this. But I want us to go to... Um, other passages of Scripture, I want us to think about Proverbs 31. Really neat passage, but there's some exhortation given to leaders, and I think this is an exhortation that we can all embrace, and here it is. Verse 8, open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth Judge righteously. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. My friend, when we think of this abortion uh, uh, holocaust, as I have found myself referring to often, what are we to do? Seek justice for the helpless. A justice that is only found in the person and work of Jesus Christ. I found myself appreciating what Isaiah says in the beginning of Isaiah. Isaiah 1, verse 17. Learn to do good, seek justice, rebuke the oppressor, defend the fatherless, plead for the widow. Followers of Jesus Christ, worshipers of God, we are called to not just sit on our backside, but to defend the rights of the poor and needy to seek justice justice. So then, my friends, how do we do this? How can we? I mean, we're looking at a tsunami coming at us. How can we swim? And more than how can we swim, how can we stand in the world we live in right now? What can we do? Well, I might propose a couple of these suggestions from God's Word. First of all, how do we seek justice for the, helpful, uh, for the, for the, for the helpless? By discerningly exposing and confronting the abuse. Paul to the church of Ephesus, a church that was saturated in a culture that was godless, that took the whole discussion of human dignity of life and basically removed it, removed it from their culture. And what does Paul say to this church? Ephesians chapter 5, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things, of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we must not be afraid to expose the atrocity. The grotesque murder of human beings. 
I referenced this book from Scott Kusendorf. This is what he calls, in one of his latter chapter, the opening of the casket. So many Americans are appalled by the atrocities of the Holocaust, where 10 million humans dying. But sadly, we are apprehensive to even expose the ongoing murders of an estimated 70 million babies in the USA alone since Roe versus Wade. We turn a blind eye to this. My brothers and sisters in Christ, expose the darkness with the light of the gospel. In discerning ways, we are to seek justice for the helpless by exposing and confronting the abuse, discerningly exposing. Um, I I might suggest with, with a decent amount of discernment for your family, a movie called Unplanned. That brings this to to the forefront. Um, But to see that there's helpfulness in a gracious and discerning exposure of the atrocities. Uh, Not pounding people over the head, but graciously and discerningly showing them that there's hope. But there's something else we can do. Seek justice for the helpless by diligently praying. We pray. That is what the scripture calls followers of Jesus Christ, worshipers of Yahweh to do. Pray. If you wonder what to pray, you can pray in line with Psalm 82. I put it there. I find myself praying this. God, give grace to defend the poor and fatherless, to do justice to the afflicted and needy, deliver the poor and needy, free them from the hand of the wicked. I truly appreciate the sign of one of our Crosspoint members sitting right over here. Bill Lyons. He holds up in front of the clinic on mistletoe a wonderful sign that says, Pray for the unborn. My brothers and sisters in Christ, will you do this? Will you pray? By way of example, I wanted to show a picture. God is interested in the prayers of his people. Two years ago, as a, uh, by the way, this is Lauren and Camden. This is their story in the Charleston, South Carolina's Low Country Pregnancy Center uh, Summer 2021 newsletter. Two years ago, a request was brought to our elder team about a young woman who was conflicted in considering ending the life of her, of her baby in her womb. And what did we do as an elder team? We went to God's throne of grace. We prayed for this young lady. Now, I'm not taking credit in any way, none of us as elders, but I do know this, that God loves the prayers of the saints. The story of this young lady, and that's what you can see here. Lauren's story of God's amazing grace. (laughs) Why? Because she walks into an abortion center and God in His sovereign hand had her talk to somebody that actually said, this is not where you need to be for this little one. For whatever reason, God takes ugly things and does neat things out of them. And says, you don't need to be here, you need to go there. She finds herself in this crisis pregnancy center showed her of options. She kept her baby, and if you were to take the time to read this story, you would not get through it without tears in your eyes. This young mother with this child who is overwhelmingly grateful for the fact that God preserved the life of her young one. Why do I share this example? I share this example because There was something happening in Charleston, South Carolina, but that God laid through through a clue that was given uh, through a, a relative to our elder team. Please pray. Please pray. Friends, we prayed for this and God answered. And there's a preserved child on this screen. Will you pray? What can we do? We discerningly expose the 
the abuse, we diligently pray, and then this, we encourage hopeful alternatives. Actually, before this one, what do we do? We faithfully and confidently proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. So our game plan never changes, does it? Why do we say this? Romans 1, 16 and 17, and the beginning, the theme of this entire book of Romans that we've already talked about. Paul says this, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. We're talking about Jews and Gentiles alike. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. Why do I bring this up, my friends? It's because of this. The only way to get to the heart of the issue is through the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel is what changes lives because it changes hearts. And so what are we to do, my friends? To share the hope of the gospel with anyone and everyone. To show that there's hope and forgiveness and peace in the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news. Lastly, this, as we close this out. In discerning ways, we must seek justice for the helpless by exposing the abuse, by diligently praying, by faithfully and confidently proclaiming the gospel. By the way, you are not going to find social justice apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter what movement you might defend. You're not going to find justice. Uh, Those are some coined terms that are used all over our world right now. You're not going to find that apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then finally this, by encouraging hopeful alternatives. Again, I might suggest that movie Unplanned in a discerning way. Apparently there are some behind-the-scenes views that I, I haven't seen, but I've been told of that I want to see, to see what God's doing behind the scenes. But I do know this, we must support our local pregnancy centers and movements that are trying to protect the lives of unborn Encourage wonderful options like this option that is entirely biblical. It's called adoption. So what? Not an easy topic to talk of today. And it was not deep. These are simple reminders. Again, a primer on this subject. But how can we make this applicable to our lives when we go out these doors? And I would say this. A question that we must all interact with is this. Will I value what God values? If God values human life in the womb, will I value human life in the womb? God values the human life, uh, the lives of human babies, will I? And then this question, will you seek justice for the helpless? Will will you do what you can to diligently and discerningly expose the abuse, to pray for the helpless, to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ that can truly change the hearts, and then encourage helpful alternatives? And then lastly, this question that we can take with us today, and I want to intentionally end on this, No matter what is going on in your heart right now, maybe it's anger, maybe it's guilt, maybe it's sadness, maybe it's pain. Whatever is happening in your heart right now, my friends, will you find hope and healing through Christ? You will not find it anywhere else. You might find a temporary salve, but you will not find a permanent fix. The only way to adequately deal deal with the pain in your heart is through your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. There may be some listening today that are about to explode in pain from past regrets. This is not a fun day to you, Sanctity of Life Sunday. It is a painful day to you. My friend, would you find hope and forgiveness today in Jesus Christ? Would you trust the one, catch this, the one who gave his own life for you? Would you take your burden to the cross of Jesus Christ today?
So God, we thank you for the time we could spend as a congregation, assembly of called out ones who claim the name of Jesus Christ. We thank you for this discussion we could have today. Again, we thank you that your word is not silent on this issue. And I pray, God, that you would help us in every way to find the peace, the grace, the hope in the cross of Jesus Christ. My friends here today with heads bowed, eyes closed, if you would like, or in an attitude of prayer, would you simply pray with me through those application points today? Would you pray that God would give you the grace to value what he values? Would you pray that you will seek justice for the helpless in every, every way that God presents to you? God's people are making a difference. The tsunami is coming our way. By God's grace, my friends, God's people are making a difference. then would you pray this for both yourself and any others in this congregation that are dealing with intense pain and guilt? Would you pray that hope and healing would be found in Jesus Christ? My friend, if you have never come to Jesus Christ in saving faith, I might add that this would be a wonderful day to come to Christ. Scripture is clear that we are all born into this world with a problem, the problem that came from Adam. It is called sin. My friend, the Scripture is clear that God did not leave us in our helpless plight. He sent a rescuer, and that rescuer's name is Jesus. Jesus went to the cross on our account. If you've never come to Jesus Christ in saving faith, my friend, today would you admit that you are a sinner? Would you believe that Christ is the only rescuer? And would you today call on Jesus Christ to rescue you? Scripture is very clear that says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Would you come to Christ today? I want to thank you, God, for your grace today to approach this sobering subject. And oh, God, I pray that as a congregation of believers that we would fall on the right side of this discussion, and that is the side of what your word says. In this world of pain and hopelessness, I pray that we would shine as bright lights, the bright lights of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I do pray, Father, that if there are those here today that are struggling through the pain of this, that they would find hope in Jesus Christ. Young to old. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to thank you for your attentive ear today. Um, obviously not easy to talk of this stuff, but my friends, we must talk of this stuff. Uh, there are some I know that maybe even today, whether you're listening online or on the radio or here in the, in the assembly, and maybe that pain is almost unbearable in your heart right now. I might encourage you that there are brothers and sisters that would be willing to talk to you. That is the body of Christ. We find encouragement. Pastor Matt, Pastor Chuck, others here, Carol, listening ears and godly advice from the biblical counseling we have here at Crosspoint Community Church, other brothers in Christ here, sisters in Christ here that would love to talk with you. We have chaplains available that would love to pray with you. M several of those chaplains I would encourage to be at the front today. But if you have pain in your heart and you're working through these things, please don't neglect talking with God's people and finding the encouragement that they can present to you from God's word. 
thank you again for being here today. Our prayer is that you find God's blessing through His Word all week long. We're going to close out with a song. Would you stand? We need a reminder, and here's the reminder. His mercy is more. If you know this song, would you sing with all you have that God's mercy is more than the guilt that we feel, the pain that we feel? Some of you came ready to share of your resources this morning. There are boxes in the back, or you're welcome to share online. We won't be passing any offering plates. Thank you for joining us for worship today. I pray that you go with the blessings of God all week long. Would you join us as we sing this song? Praise the Lord, His mercy is
go this week and focus on that truth. No matter what goes on, God's mercy is more.